peace of Christ be with you. Give yourself the gift of about three deep breaths that you might fully arrive here and that you might open yourself to the presence of the living spirit in, with, and among us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. The first scripture reading is from... Whether standing or sitting, let us join the call to worship. You know the depths of our thoughts and feelings, O oh God. While we you call us into loving, safe, and supportive communities. Open us to your wisdom that we might do our part to Thanks be to God.
You may be seated. I want to welcome you to worship here at Westminster. What a joy it is to be together this morning. If you're visiting with us, welcome, especially to you. I do want to invite everyone out into our garden area after worship. We have tea, we have coffee, we have the all-important donut holes. Uh, so head out there and uh, maybe find someone you haven't yet met. Introduce yourself, meet someone new today. Speaking of during the offering, those of you sitting here in the middle, if you'd grab that um, pew pad, pass it down, pass it back, sign your name if you're new. Um, it's a great way for us to get some contact information so we can be in touch. But then take a look at the names of the people sitting near you and maybe after worship greet one another by name. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. Oh God, we know this life is a gift. We know it, but sometimes we struggle to feel it. Some of us feel as though we aren't enough or aren't worthy of love. Others of us don't feel that way ourselves, but we know those who do. Yet all of us are responsible for one another. We come seeking not judgment. That we might best know how to manifest love in the world. Prayers transform us into the answered prayers. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that no matter what may bind you this day, freedom and hope are ours through Jesus Christ. For in Christ we are forgiven, we are set free, we are made new each and every day. Thanks be to God. Amen. So as we continue with our time of prayer, having prayed together in one voice, now is your opportunity to share the prayers that are on your hearts and minds today. So if you have a prayer to offer, just raise your hand and let us know. Yeah, Susan. Amen. So we have, we have been praying for about a month now for Susan's friend Stuart, who had thyroid cancer. 
recently had surgery and got the good news that the cancer was contained to the thyroid, hadn't spread anywhere else. So family is very happy about that and very grateful for the prayers of our congregation. Others? Yeah, Carol. So, <laughs> so first, first a prayer for your friend Dale, who is going to have surgery this week. And then Carol is lifting up a joy. She's been spearheading um, our mission trip to Kentucky, and we've had lots of interest. Um, I think she was also sharing a joy that some of our newest members are not only participating, but taking over the, the planning of it. So thank you to both of you. Way to jump in and get involved. Love it. Love it. Yes, Elizabeth. Yeah. All right. Longtime Westminster member Anton coming back to visit. It's good to have you with us, Anton. Yeah. Yes. Yay! Wow. That was well said in unison, you guys. Did you like practice that all morning? Mark back visiting for the weekend. It's good to have you with us, Mark. Yeah, Clark. Oh, first it was a great joy to your family and Jeff's family. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Clark is lifting up your own family, it sounds like. My family, Jeff's family, we've all had the joy, no, not joy at all, of COVID the last week and a half. Um, we are all doing better. Um, and I know many of you reached out to both Jeff and me, and we are so appreciative, so thank you. Tricia. Okay, that was a nice segue into prayer for Tammy Hook. She has COVID. Yeah. She came down with COVID, and she's looking well. Yeah. She's in my neighborhood, so if you all have anything you want to call Elizabeth, we'll pray for her. Um, she needs to be in the hospital. Absolutely. Tammy Willett now tested positive for COVID. It is definitely still with us, and I've been telling people not something I would wish on anyone. I've, I felt okay, and it was still really hard. So, yeah, prayers for Tammy. Yes. Um, we have uh, Joy, my sister Judy, her husband David. Uh, we're seeing them for the first time other than Zoom in four years. Wow. We're from Melbourne, Australia. And it's just been hard to go to and from the country. So they're here on and off for the summer. Wow, wonderful. Family visiting from Australia, first time they've been together in person in four years. Welcome. It's good to have you with us. Let's take just a few moments of quiet. Um, as we do, we certainly remember the events in our country and in our world. We pray for those in Japan following the assassination there. Our country knew more gun violence this week, so we simply pray for those affected by that, pray for change. Pray for everything that you mentioned, everything that you're holding still in the quiet of your own heart. So let us have a few moments of quiet together.
Gracious God, we are your one body, called to follow Jesus to create beauty and justice in our world. During our time together, strengthen us, draw us in to witness your vision of hope for all people. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that your son taught us, saying, Our
I'd actually like to invite the entire Hanson family forward. It's important in the life of the church that when we know it, that we honor comings and goings. And we said goodbye to Nicholas, their oldest son, a couple of weeks ago because he went off to a rowing camp. And Christina and the boys may be here next week, but we don't know that for sure, and Mark won't be. So we want to take this time uh, to say goodbye to you and to wish you well. They're relocating to Baltimore, where Mark is working with the symphony out there, and they're trying to get settled. And we want to send you off with prayer. We are going to miss you so much. And we know it's not goodbye forever, uh, but it is an important shift. You're no longer living among us, and it's important to honor that. So I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Oh God, we honor the sacred journey that is this life. And we pause to give thanks that the Hansen family found us on their road. And they brought with them so many gifts that they shared so freely. Gifts of leadership and service, participation, and of course, music. So much music that helps us feel what we cannot say in words. We give thanks for them. We honor that their journey now takes them elsewhere. And we pray that as they pack their bags, they might bring something of us with them. That they might know of our love wherever they go. That they might settle in in due time that they might be patient with one another as they settle at their own different paces, that you would bless them with a good school, with good friends, good work, good and peaceful home, and that you would remind them that every time they eat of the bread and drink of the cup, that they are united not only with us, but with all believers of all times and places. That in Christ there is no real separation. And so go with them this day as you have gone with us every day. And we pray this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. God's peace. Amen. That's not a good, it's not a good way to send them off, Rob. What a, it's okay, we're not going to see them again. I think I just... I, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, I want to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to join me. I was going to say we just added to our capital campaign, but that was a better answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, boy. Well, some of us are lucky that we don't have to deal with sisters and brothers. <laughs> Others of us are not as lucky. We have to deal with sisters and brothers. And I just wonder, since we have two brothers here, if you ever get into fights, yeah? You know, I used to get into fights with my sister and brother. Um, Rob, do you ever get into fights with your siblings? Uh, yes, and I, I lost. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I wonder sometimes, you know, we get into fights with our sisters and brothers, and one of the things I love about the Bible is that the people and the heroes that we lift up, they're not perfect. They're a lot like us. And there's a guy that you're going to learn about today who got into fights with his brother. 
And I wonder also, because he also tricked his parents. Have any of you ever tricked your parents? You try, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Theo and Soul, I know you're watching at home. I, I want to share one of the, the main tricks that happens in our home is that every day there's going to be three or four attempts to scare you. Someone's going to jump out from behind a door or from behind a bed or from behind anything. No matter where you go in our home, you're not safe from someone jumping and screaming at you. And so I wonder, since your dad is here, we're very happy that he's here. Do you ever pull tricks on your dad? Yeah? Not successfully. Not successfully. There you go, yeah. So I wonder, well, I'm going to tell you the answer is yes, because I don't want you to wonder about this. For the kind of person that gets into fights with their siblings, that plays tricks on their parents, that really isn't perfect, God will still use them, and God still loves them. And today you're going to hear a story about a guy whose story is a lot like yours. He did those kinds of things, and how would God show his love to him? And how would God use him into the future? How? Well, that you're going to have to learn from someone else. <laughs> Who's going to lead our sacred stories throughout today? Oh, they are? Okay. Great. Then let's follow Ram and Maria out in middle school. You can join me uh, in the youth room. Let's go. Go now in peace. We are going to read the first scripture reading from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. It's a long one, so settle in. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. For the second reading, I'm going to be reading from a different translation than the one in your pew Bibles. It's the Common English Bible. Sometimes a different rendering helps open up the text in a new way. For So listen to these words for the way the Spirit might be saying something to us today. Matthew 27, 1 to 5. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. 
Then he went away and hanged himself. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. If you know me well at all, you'll know that my favorite place on earth growing up was camp. My favorite job was a summer camp counselor. It's just the best job in the world. If you've ever done it, you probably know. The first summer I worked with on the, at the overnight camp, I was assigned to a cabin of 11 and 12-year-old boys. It just doesn't get any better than that. Oh, half child, half teenager, 12% adult. Bethany was the math major. But they're actually more than 100%. I mean, 12 year they're just so full of so many things. It's all that energy and this uncontainable joy and all these questions just spiraling in every direction. It's magnificent. In the gap between my first and second summer, I lost three 12-year-olds to suicide. Wealthy white suburban kids, if that matters. One for whom you could tell on the first day life was hard, socially hard for him. The other two I would have not guessed in a thousand years. Last week, after a fairly weighty sermon, I was joking with some of the folks in coffee hour that this Sunday I was tempted simply to say, Jesus loves you and send you out early. That's always the temptation for the preacher. Just lift them up. Give them something uplifting so they can go out the door on a higher note. Not a bad inclination, quite frankly. But sometimes you have to deal with the weighty matters. And I believe that if you enter areas with such gravity and you can stand there, then when the liberation comes, it's far more uplifting. And the Holy Spirit can lift us up even out of the heaviest of topics. And we have to talk about this one. We have to talk about this one because it's so prevalent in our society and because the church's response has been inadequate in the past. It's either been silence, or worse, it's been unhelpful or even hurtful and damaging. Now, there's more than I could possibly responsibly cover in the time of a sermon. So I'll undoubtedly fall short, but at least to break open the seal on the topic and perhaps cover something helpful, it's our responsibility. I want to begin by making one simple distinction, although we could make many, two is too few for sure, and that is between what we might call your stereotypical example of suicide, perhaps a young person for whom hope is fleeting or not present at all, and they take their own life. Case that I think many of which, all of us could agree we want to prevent at all costs. But there are more dimensions and more situations and take maybe on the other extreme, the example of somebody perhaps an advanced age, but certainly at an advanced stage of illness. And there's no hope within realistic 
bounds of a meaningful recovery, and so one's existence is reduced only to suffering and pain. Now, there are many levels in between, but we'll talk about those two today, because I think they prompt different responses faithfully from the church. I owe the courage to address this topic and many of the insights herein to the Reverend Sarah Wiles. She's a Presbyterian pastor in Blacksburg, Virginia. She's in the preaching group that I attend once every year. I've spoken about that in here before. And she wrote a stunning paper on suicide and Judas, of all figures. Judas, that failing Judas, that emblem of betrayal who took his own life. I'll return to him a little bit later, but let's stay right now in our setting, in our contemporary context. And let's begin with that latter category I introduced, somebody who is suffering from an illness. Uh, their quality of life is only deteriorating, and there doesn't seem to be hope of much beyond it. What's faithful in those circumstances to allow or to support or to engage in? That's a fair question. And you might say, well, we just heard from the Apostle Paul moments ago, St. Paul, who talks about the body as a temple, as a gift from God. And we are to glorify God in and through the body. Well, how is ending one's life doing that? And I suppose to that question, what I would simply say is, I'm not sure how subjecting the body to ceaseless suffering or subjecting a loved one through pressure to ceaseless suffering if they're in possession of their own faculties, if they can make a responsible choice and avail themselves of the medical means that are now available in at least some places. I'm not, I don't, I can't square how forcing them to suffer that way glorifies God. You might say carefully that it actually does the opposite. Maybe it reveals a lack of trust in God. That this body, while sacred and a gift, is all that there is. And so we have to hold on to it with everything we have, even though there really isn't much reason. Again, if chosen responsibly by someone in a place who can choose. I've been approached at least once by folks in the congregation who want to know if their pastor would be there for them if they were in those circumstances and wanted to make that choice for themselves or their family. And I was heartened by the question because it means they felt open enough to talk to one of us about this. But also saddened by the inference that perhaps uh, others feel that they would have to hide from their church at the most sacred time in their life, maybe the scariest time in their life. So how would I respond to that? Well, like any good person of faith or person striving to be a person of faith, I think about Jesus. Jesus met people in their pain where they were. And yes, he healed some. And if I had that gift, I would use it too. But all the people he healed eventually died. And so the way I see it, Jesus meets people in their pain and walks with them all the way through it. 
And therefore, that has to be our covenant as well as pastors and you all as faithful people. And so we will do that for you, even if that means through ending your own life by availing yourselves of those means in a responsible way and all those caveats. So in brief, yes is the answer. If you're wondering that question, the answer is yes. Come talk to us about that. Now, what about the other category? That category where hope just seems completely lost, but it might actually be there, just too veiled to recognize. What do you do about that? As I sat and wrote my first draft this week, I looked over at my desk and it was just buried in articles. Articles about a suicide cluster among youth in Palo Alto. Articles about getting that net finally uh, under the Golden Gate Bridge to capture so many people who try to end their life by jumping off. Articles about national statistics of suicide. And even an article about the long and complicated history of the relationship between the church and the question of suicide. It's just overwhelming. It's, I couldn't even, in fact, I, I've been saving these for months and I could barely read them. It's just overwhelming. Suicide knows no bounds culturally or economically. It affects every group there is. But as Wiles points out in her paper, it does play favorites. So let me share a little bit with you on that front. Suicide is correlated with high unemployment. It, or with unemployment. It skews actually toward older adults, not younger people, though it shows up in higher rates among college students, veterans, as you probably know, and LGBTQ folks. According to the Suicide Prevention Center and the Center for Disease Control, it favors certain occupations. You might be surprised to know. And the highest rate for suicide in our country, this might surprise you, is among white men over 65. So there's pain there too. But before I go any, any further into this, I want to direct your attention to the number in the front of your bulletin, which is just the number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. We actually have a member here who has volunteered for them before. I want you to have that in case you're in a position that you need it or someone you know needs it. Everybody here, whether you know it or not, has probably been touched by this issue or almost touched, if you catch my drift. I also want you to know that Bethany and I are here uh, to connect you to deeper levels of resources as you need them confidentially, as is Jeff for our young people and families. So I want you to know that. We need to do what we can to prevent that group of folks from getting into that place. I already shared about young people, and it's a particularly important issue for young people, because if you know anything about the brain, you know that the brain is not fully formed until you're in your early 20s, and for men, I think it's close to your mid-20s. So teenagers, for example, literally, it's not a knock against them, 
literally don't have the capacity to fully comprehend what they may be doing. And so we have a special obligation to try to help them and come around them before they get to a place they really can't understand. And even for those beyond that age group, for whom hope just seems so dimly lit against the fog of this world, we have a responsibility. Dare I say a Christian responsibility. And that last piece is really important to make explicit. Because as you may know, even just vaguely, there is a history of stigma with suicide that grows out of the church. We renounce that, by the way. But it's probably good to stop for a moment and slow down and open up and, fig- and talk a little bit about where that came from so we can understand it, even as we hope to put a different foot forward in this era. You may remember from your studies back in school of antiquity, how in Roman times, suicide was seen as a, a noble answer to certain circumstances. I'm not advocating that, by the way, but it, culturally it was accepted, even lifted up. In the Bible... There are at least seven examples of suicide. And never does the scripture explicitly condemn it. Jesus doesn't address it. So where did this come from? Where did it become such a strong Christian thing, which it did, to condemn suicide as a sin, a deadly sin? Lydia Gershon points out that this really grew out of Augustine, who developed a stronger theology of condemning suicide as a sin. Now, actually, I can understand the genesis of this notion. I think I could I think many of us could see where this came from. Just think very basically, life is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's sacred. We want to honor that and treasure it and not treat it lightly. The commandments say do not kill. Do not to kill another. Shouldn't we apply the same thing to ourselves, not to kill the self? I think I can understand that. The, uh, the sad history is that the opposition to suicide in the church in certain eras grow, grew to such great proportions and in such perverse forms that they would go to all kinds of lengths to gruesomely try to deter people. And I will not detail that because it doesn't warrant our airtime. But doing things to the bodies of those who had died of suicide, for example, that were gruesome to try to scare people into not doing it or you know, uh, throwing out the fear of damnation to people who are in such pain. Think of that. You're in such pain that you'd rather not live and your church greets you with a threat of eternal suffering. And those uh, threats grew to such proportions uh, under the misguided notion that you could scare people perversely from doing something that they're doing because life feels scary and perverse. So misguided. But that's how we got there. And so we repent of that as a church. Say we don't want to be about that. And yet you can see that there's a delicate line there, right? You do want to honor the gift of life. We do want to regard the body as a temple worth cherishing. We also want to have empathy for the people who are left behind and not downplay the consequences for them and honor their feelings of abandonment or anger 
And yet, are we expecting people who are in such pain to be able to consider the pain of others? I mean, you see how hard it is, right? It just goes back and forth. I mean, part of being a body of faith is recognizing that your life doesn't just belong to you. It belongs to others. It belongs to your family. It belongs to the wider community, all the relationships you have. That's part of what it means to learn to be part of a community. And yet again, is it just unreasonable to ask somebody who is suffering so much to sort of build that into the equation when they they can't even see a, a way forward? It's so complex. It's so layered. It's overwhelming. It's hard to put together. It's hard to even breathe enough tenderness into the words because every time you say something, you realize you might be inflicting some kind of wound on somebody who falls somewhere in this whole spectrum, in this whole matter. Before we get to Judas, I want to say one thing or delve into one other issue that Wiles brings up that is helpful and it's important. And that's this, that suicide is primarily talked about in our culture as an individual action, as a personal thing. When in fact, quite the opposite is true. It's truly a communal matter. Now by that, I want to say right here and right now, make it clear, if you're someone who's been left behind by someone who left us, that it's not as if it was your singular job to deliver them hope and because it didn't take, you failed. Do not hear that today. What we're going to explore is what it means to try to build a community that looks a little bit more like heaven to do the best we can to help people see hope. Weil says, if there is a sin in suicide, it's social. She writes, insofar as suicide represents profound separation from awareness of the love of God, it is a manifestation of the broken, fallen nature of our world, not just of that person. She says, it's never truly a free, independent choice, citing inherited brain chemistry, intoxicating substances, generational trauma, and we could add to that so many other factors, social factors and pressures, material, economic pressures and factors, access to mental health care. We've heard mental health care talked about a lot lately in our culture, actually for some time, as maybe a salve for some of our violence. I'm all for it. But we need to make the step of moving from talking about it to making it a reality access to it. Try to get a therapist in Marin if you need insurance. Because there's so many people who can pay for it without insurance. Many practitioners, and I understand why, I know how hard it is, billing and all that whole process. But many don't take insurance. We do not have equal, anything close to equal access to mental health care in our land. And I'd like us to go even a step farther than that. Rather than just caring for people in the back end of their pain, what are we doing to alleviate the causes, and some of which can't be alleviated? But frankly, anxiety and depression and despair seem like pretty reasonable responses to some of what we've allowed in our world. I'm not saying that causes mental illness per se, but certainly mental distress can push us closer to that kind of ledge. We have a responsibility to address the causes, not just try to heal people on the back end. Responsive care and prevention go hand in hand in building a healthier 
society. But again, says Wiles, never is this purely a personal phenomenon. There are significant structural causes that contribute to our suicide rate. Now, let's turn to Judas, where Wiles is perhaps best at helping us feel. Judas's death only shows up in the narrative in two places in Scripture. Matthew, which you heard earlier, and in the book of Acts, which is the second half of the Gospel of Luke. In Acts, Judas goes out into a field, and in this very pregnant image, his insides pour out. He dies. But the agent of his death is invisible. He just dies. It just happens. Only in Matthew does he take the act into his own hand but he deserved it. That emblem of betrayal, that failing Judas, betrayed our Savior. I don't know, I grow a little more careful with dueling out cruel judgment of desert the older I grow. And Wiles is really helpful at helping us see this story in a new way, gathering these interesting tokens about this famous coin collector. Yes, she says, Judas turned over Jesus. And no, he did not kill him. The elders and the chief priests gave him to Pilate, knowing what Pilate would do, and they argued that Pilate would do it. It was not Judas alone. And Judas... What does the scripture says? say? He was seized with remorse. Maybe he didn't know what was going to happen. Maybe he did know, and when he saw it, he couldn't bear it. Seized with remorse, he said he regretted what he did. He returned the money. And when he confesses to his religious leaders, he says, I betrayed an innocent man. And what do they say back to him? What's that to us? That's your problem. That's when Judas gives up his price, throws the money back to the temple, goes out, and he hangs himself. That's his religious community's response to him. What's that to us? That's your problem. This is a story about a failing Judas. But it's also a story about failing Judas. Wiles concludes her paper in this manner. I keep thinking about Judas. I've been thinking about him for years. He haunts me. Hospitals for patients experiencing suicidality are carefully designed. There are, of course, the locked doors, the airlocks through which friends and family must pass. There are the rooms with doors that must remain open There are beds and chairs and sinks that are molded plastic, or is it fiberglass? All round edges, no gaps, nothing that can come apart. There is no shower rod. The curtain is Velcroed to the ceiling. The faucet is flush with the tile. And the toilet paper is on a spring-loaded rod that will come apart with the slightest tension so that you cannot hang yourself on the toilet paper dispenser.
What grace, she says. What care. What is that to us, said the spiritual advisors. That's your problem, they said. No one accompanied Judas. No one took account of his pain or his cries. They did not think through the toilet paper rod or a tree. It could have been a different story. It was not a foregone conclusion. Weil says, I hang my hope on that. So where's the uplifting part, Rob? The uplifting part is it doesn't have to be a foregone conclusion. That sometimes, sometimes, no matter what has come before, we can uplift someone else. Or we can be uplifted by them or by God through them. At least we can try. Amen.
You may be seated. During the prayer time at 8.30, I figured out those boys would, would have been 38 now. Should have been 38. During the quiet time just now, I don't know if you heard it, but could you hear, I think, our kids yelling in the other building, laughing? I don't know what they're learning. <laughs> but I know what they're learning and what they're practicing, which is what you're practicing, being in loving community like this. Communities of love and faith really matter, folks. They really matter. So thank you for helping this one be. Let me share a few things going on in the life of this beloved community, though I hope you, as always, look at the bulletin, read your e-news, check out the website, call us if you have any questions about any of that. The first is I joined Carol and Forrest and Deb in celebrating the sign-up so far for that Kentucky trip. We still have about five slots open, so think about whether you want to come. If you're worried that you'll be the least skilled person on the trip, I promise you, you will not be. Because I am attending. I am the least skilled person. I don't want to exaggerate in the universe. Uh, Carol, go ahead. Oh, great chance to see the Sayers who've been living on the East Coast for the last couple years. So if nothing else, reunite with friends. But, but really don't let your handiness be a barrier. I've found on these trips, I've gone on many, hasn't helped, um, that there's always a role for you. So don't be bashful. See Forrest or Deb or Carol or me about it if you'd like to learn more. Um, apropos to one of the topics today, we already had the first or a series of what's called the Death Cafe. This is a phenomenon that's happened actually throughout the country, and not, actually not mainly in churches, mainly in coffee shops. But to breach that taboo subject, talking about death on a number of levels. Some of you may have attended this past week, but there, there are more opportunities coming up. So please check that out. It's, a, it's an important thing, and what a gift to be able to host one in the, a community of faith. But it's not just for church people. So um, you may have folks that are interested who are not a part of the church, and there's no bait and switch with religion happening. Uh, you got to say that because people see the building, and they're worried they're going to get spiritually ambushed, and we're not about that here. <laughs> oh, I'm, if you've never been to a funeral where you've been then told you've got to come forward that moment, or, I mean, it's abuse. We don't do that. So we've got to spread that word. Um, again, check out what else is happening in the life of this beloved community and make yourself a part of it. Uh, the more you engage, the less it feels like a lecture series and more like a living body of faith, which is what we're going for. So with that, I invite you either standing or sitting to join in our closing hymn, number 177.
truer words have never been spoken. As you go from this place, in whatever place you are in, whether this is your first Sunday here or your last Sunday here, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.